Welcome to the Bluff First Podcast. Join us as we journey together through the book of 1 Peter in our current series entitled Living Hope. We pray that this message will encourage and enrich your life. For more information, please visit us on the web at bluffhurst.com. How many are ready to jump into the Word this morning? Hopefully you've got uh, your Bible or you've got Google on your phone or, or whatever. If we've not met, again, um, I'm TJ, and so glad to have you here. We've been journeying through 1 Peter uh, in a series titled Living Hope, and so um, we're going to stay with that. I think it will still speak to moms. This may not be a typical Mother's Day sermon, but it's going to speak to moms, and it's going to speak to everybody else. Tell mom, if there's a mom near you, tell, say, you're looking good, mom. I'm out of breath already, so this might be a shorter sermon. I don't know. Here we go. First Peter chapter 1, turn there if you would. If you've missed the last month or so, the bad news is you've missed a lot of good stuff. But the good news is we've only covered five verses in a whole month, and so you can catch up really, really uh, quickly and not feel like you've missed out on too much. Today, we're going to take the biggest bite so far. We're going to cover, drum roll please, four whole verses. We're going to cover four verses today and just believe that God's going to speak to us. First Peter chapter 1, verses 6, 7, 8, and 9. Verse 6 says, in this you rejoice, which begs the question, in what? And the in what is the reality of verses 1 through 5 that we've already covered, that God knows us, that's a scary thought, but despite the fact that he knows us, he chose us, amen? He picked us, he loves us, and he loves us enough to grow us and to see us develop, and so that's given us this this living hope, and as Pastor Max talked about last week, this inheritance, this power, In this you rejoice, he says, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Everybody say trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, verse 8 says, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. If you've got one of those uh, ESV scripture journals that we've been going through a couple of weeks ago, we, we circled, we highlighted or underlined these misfit words, elect Exiles. How do those things go together? How are we rejects and yet we're picked by God at the same time? How are we chosen misfits? Today I want you to circle a couple of more words that don't seem to go together. Notice that word rejoice, circle that, and then look at that word trials. Rejoice, trials, troubles, problems. I don't know about y'all this morning, but about the only time I rejoice in a trial is when it's over, right? I, I do not find myself giddy about my trials. And so I want you this morning, um, whether you're a mom or not, I want you this morning to think about your trial. What is the trial you're facing? Some of you right now, it's a small thing. It's bugging you. Some of you, you just got bad news. It's a big deal. Some of you, it's a long-lasting difficulty. For some of you, it was just the difficulty of getting up and being here on Mother's Day. This is a painful holiday for you, and and so you're here, and that was your big test today. 
Think about what you're facing, what you're going through. Whatever it is, here's, here's the big idea, here's the big question. If you're taking notes, write this question down. This is what the whole day is about. Whatever your crisis is, will this crisis make me colder or closer? Will this thing that I'm facing, will it make me colder or closer? How many know that trials and troubles and difficulties in life have a way of changing us, right? They have a way of changing us for better or for worse. Whatever you're facing this morning, it has the ability to make you colder to God, more distant, more hard-hearted, jaded, whatever. Or somehow, Peter is going to teach us, it could be of good use. That crisis somehow could draw you closer to Christ. Peter says that somehow it is possible to rejoice in trials, to rejoice in suffering. How many would like his doctor to prescribe to you whatever it is that he is taking when he's rejoicing in trials? That does not make any sense, and we're going to unpack it. Quickly, we'll look at why trials make us colder. It's a little more obvious. We don't have to spend much time. Look at verse 6. It says, though for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by, look at that word, various trials. How many know trials come in all shapes and sizes, right? And sometimes they come one after another or one on top of the other. Some of you came to Christ and you thought that would be the end of your troubles, How many have found it's even harder sometimes to live for Jesus than it was to just, you know, go about your life? I I consider myself a very blessed man. I'm the the most blessed man in the room. I'll I'll compete with you over who's most blessed. I'm so blessed. My family is, is relatively healthy. I'm very happy. I have great support. I have great friends. But listen, the last 15 months have brought some trials into our lives. Y'all know preachers get trials too? Preachers have problems. Christians have problems. You know, uh, I don't know about you. This is my first pandemic. I've never led a church through a pandemic before. Um, I had never had COVID before. That was fun. I had never had a, a pregnant wife have COVID, and nobody even knew she was pregnant yet. That was interesting. I had never, I, I'm not perfect. I know there's people who don't like me, but in the years I've pastored here, I had not yet experienced a season where so many people are disappointed or frustrated or mad at me for what I'm saying too much of or not saying enough of. And then awesome part about that, it's all happening online and we can't meet face to face because of COVID. That's fun. Never been through that before. Up until the last year or so, I had never uh, performed a funeral for any of my former students. I was a youth pastor for about a decade. I had never done that twice this last year. A young man that I love so much, a young lady that was dear to us, I performed their memorial services. I'm not telling you this stuff to try to like get your pity and make you feel sorry for me. I'm just trying to say me too. Okay, we go through stuff. We go through difficulty. I'm going to tell you really quick five things about trials. Trials are these various trials. Trials are plentiful. Amen? Trials are plentiful. I've got mine. You've got yours. They look different. But here's the, here's the thing. We can find somebody who's going through something worse than us, but there's no hurt like your hurt, right? The trial that's the biggest deal in your life is yours, or your family members. The thing that's bugging you the most, keeping you up at night, is the thing that you're going through. And again, it's all shapes and sizes, all lengths. Sometimes it's a couple of weeks. Sometimes it's years and years and years. 
all kinds of trials. Some of you walked in this morning with physical trials. Maybe people know about it, maybe they don't. You're, you're facing bad doctor's reports. We're dealing in our family with, with cancer, with birth defects, with uh, accidents, with infertility, with miscarriage. Those are things that are super difficult on Mother's Day. Physical trials, sometimes mental trials. I have friends that are dealing with crippling anxiety, crippling depression. And listen, some of them are pastors. Everybody's got their own trials. Sometimes our trials are spiritual, whether they're brought on by ourselves or not. We might be going through a season of doubt. We might be going through a season where our own choices and sin and habits have put us in a trial. We might be going through unmet expectations, disappointment. God didn't come through like we thought he would. Emotional trials, financial trials, they're plentiful. They all feel like a crisis. Life is not stingy in serving us up nice warm plates of trials. They just keep on coming. And when they do come one after another and you don't get a break, it's exhausting. It can easily make us colder. But notice right before it said various trials, it says you've been grieved by these trials. So trials are plentiful, trials are painful. Amen? Maybe, maybe instead of, I'll try this again. Maybe instead of amen, you can just say, duh. Trials are painful. Duh. <laughs> These situations in our life, they hurt. And, you know, grief is normal. It's healthy. We don't have to come in and be fake. We can be real. But just because it's normal to grieve, and in fact, the Bible even says there's a time for laughing, a time for weeping, mourning, grieving. It's perfectly normal. But how many know just because it's normal doesn't make it fun? Right? Nobody felt better because, hey, you know, it's normal to hurt. Well, yeah, it still hurts. And so when we think about how plentiful and painful these trials are, of course we can get colder. But how could we get closer? We're going to need some perspective to do that. Look at verse 6 again. If necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Trials are required. How many find it a bummer? that sometimes what you and God think are necessary are different things. Like I woke up this morning and it was raining and I was like, really God? It's Mother's Day. People will have to get up and get ready and come to church and you're gonna let it rain and poplar blow, come on. Frustrated, this is not necessary, right? And the sun came out a little, I was like, okay, sorry. <laughs> but God says that sometimes Trials are necessary. Sometimes we need trials. You remember when your mom was like, take this medicine, I promise it's good for you. And you were like, it does not taste good for me. But that's the truth, isn't it? That, that trials can actually be the will of God for us. We talked about that series, uh, This Is Only a Test. We talked about this, right? That, that sometimes to get us where we need to go, we have to go through a trial. None of us enjoy the trial, but on the other end of it, sometimes we can look back and see, man, that was, that was necessary. I didn't realize that at the time, God was meeting a need in my life. God was doing something in my life. Now, I'm not saying every painful thing is God putting you through a trial. I'm not saying God caused the car accident or God caused whatever, but I am saying sometimes... We need these trials. Kids need trials, right? They need to test and see certain things. We don't, we don't let our kids just suffer to suffer for no reason, but sometimes, you know, we swat a hand away from a stove, 
Sometimes we go, hey, that hurts. Don't do that. Sometimes kids need course correction. They, they, trials correct them and humble them. We are the same way. We need trials at times to make us stronger. James said the testing of our faith, these trials produce patience. Any parents in the house this morning say, I need patience? <laughs> Both hands up. <laughs> I need patience. Here's my problem. I want it now. Right? I want patience now. But patience comes through what? Trials, tests, storms. And we go through these things and they equip us for the next trial or they equip us for other people that are going through things. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4 um, tells us how God handles our afflictions, our trials. It says, The God of all comfort comforts us in our afflictions. That's awesome. That's comforting, right? so that we might be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. He lets us go through, through things, and it makes us able to help others as they go through things. Trials are required. They're necessary. Also, trials are revealing. They reveal what kind of faith we have. These necessary, painful trials come, look at verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith might be found to result in praise and glory to Christ, right? Jewelers, I don't know if we have any jewelers in the house this morning, but jewelers can tell a fake by exposing it to heat, by running it through the fire. We can tell what our faith is like when it's heated up, when, when it's put under flame. Some people go through trials in life and it destroys their faith. You see, the, 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 the trial hits and it burns up their faith and they're done and they don't serve Jesus anymore. Other people, same fire, maybe even worse, somehow their faith survives. Sometimes even their faith gets stronger. That's because trials not only reveal Trials are refining. God uses trials to refine us. He's not out to burn us. He's out to make us more like Jesus. How many are glad God loves you right where you are? Right? How many are glad he loves you enough to not let you stay that way? Like, I love my daughter. She's three. I'm kind of hoping by 16, some of the stuff she does right now, she doesn't do anymore. Right? I love her as she is, but I want her to grow. Trials are refining. The ancient goldsmiths, they would heat up gold and they would skim the imperfections off and they would let it cool and they would heat it up again and skim and cool and heat and skim and cool. And how did they know it was done? How did they know the gold was pure, that it was finished? Well, it's said that they knew it was finished when they could look at the gold and see their reflection. Are you catching that? God is working in us. We're made in his image, but we're imperfect. And yet we go through these trials, the heat is turned up, and he skims some of the stuff off the top of our life until we look more and more like him, until he can see his reflection in us. That's a lifetime process. Listen, if you're here and your name is not Jesus Christ, you're imperfect. Sorry, Mama. I know you're close to perfect. It's Mother's Day, but you are not perfect. And so you can be assured you're going to have more trials until you're perfect. And how many knows one day we will be? 
We'll be perfect as he is. We'll be in his presence. There'll be no more of this stuff that needs skimmed off. And so this crisis that we're in, it's not for nothing. Let him work. Let him draw you in. Let him develop you. It's okay to grieve. It's okay. Listen, I think it's okay to hate the trial. I think it's okay to go through this and go, I wish this wasn't. I think it's okay to hate cancer, to hate, to be frustrated by infertility. But at the same time, can we, can we be glad that God hasn't left us, that he's still working, that he still wants relationship with us through this? And, and listen, that's the key to getting closer instead of colder. It's understanding this relationship. Peter points it out in these believers. They had it. They understood it. Look at verse 8. He said, though you have not seen him. Peter sat on the beach and cooked fish sticks with Jesus, Right? He had breakfast with Jesus. He knew Jesus. These guys, they heard the gospel from somebody else. They'd never seen Jesus. Peter says, you haven't seen him, but you love him. Though you don't see him now, you believe in him, and you rejoice. There's the other pair of misfit phrases if you want to circle these. We love and yet we have not seen. This seems crazy. And listen, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, it probably does seem crazy. Why are all these people looking up at the ceiling and singing to some imaginary friend? What is this? How do you love a God you can't see, you can't text, you can't get coffee with? Can't see God, but love him? How could we do that? My wife is 36 weeks pregnant today. We've seen ultrasounds that we have not seen our son. We have not met him yet. Guess what? We love him. We love him already. And in a much greater way, we can love the God who loves us, who has made himself knowable. How? The same way we build any relationship. Let me help you out. If you want to build a relationship with Jesus, I'm going to help you. If you don't care about that, I'm just going to help you with your other relationships. Two key ingredients you need in any good relationship. Love, I say love. Y'all still awake? I know you're thinking about the line at the waiting area at Colton's right now. Okay. <laughs> love, trust. A relationship is not much of a relationship without either, either of those, is it? You got somebody, they don't love you at all, they have no love for you, that's an acquaintance, that's a business relationship, that's an enemy maybe, there's no love. You got somebody that you love, you don't trust them. Well, you love them, but it's a two-way street here, and we can't have much of a relationship without trust. Peter writes to these Christians who, unlike him and just like us, never saw Jesus, yet they believed in him, they trusted him, they loved him, they were getting closer. Let me ask you the million-dollar question this morning. And you might think it's like an easy answer, but it's not an easy answer. You live in the Bible Belt where most people answer this question without even thinking about what it means. Here's the question. Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? I'm not saying do you go to church or are, are you glad that you might be able to go to heaven you believe in the man upstairs, you pray sometimes. I'm asking you, do you love Jesus? And if you would say, Pastor TJ, how do I know? How do I know that I love him? Listen, here it is right here. John uh, 14, Jesus let us know. He said, if you love me, there's the if, then you'll keep my commandments. Now, we know that no one has perfectly kept the commandments except Jesus himself, so he can't be asking for perfection. What is he asking for? He's asking for 
Obedience. He's asking for surrender. You know what obedience is based on? Trust. If I tell my daughter, hey, don't run in the street, she trusts that I know that if she does that, something's going to happen. She trusts my perspective. Obedience is based on trust. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll do what I say. Not perfectly, but progressively, you will obey me more and more. Listen, moms, there's not a better gift you could give your kids, your grandkids, this Mother's Day. There's not a better investment in your family than to love Jesus. Dads, kids in the room, if you forgot to get something today, if you're like, I'm going to have to write a card in the car, like, I, I, listen, there's no better Mother's Day gift than for you to love Jesus and love mom. Maybe some chocolates, right? And if we don't love Jesus enough to listen to what he says and try to do what he says, then, then hear me, we don't love Jesus. You can't love Jesus and not obey him. You just love the idea of him. And the second ingredient there is trust Ask yourself, do I trust Jesus? Verse 8 says, you don't, you, know, you don't see him, you love him. You don't now see him, but you believe in him. You believe on him. You trust him. You can't separate the two. Some of us like the idea of Jesus. We like the friends we've made at church, but we haven't put our trust in Jesus. Listen, there are moms that have not been able to surrender the idea. They can't let go of the control of knowing that somehow God says he loves my kids more than I do. So they're worry warts, right? I lied uh, in my daughter's room the other night. I laid next to her while she was falling asleep. And I just had this thought like, Man, I love this little girl so much. She's rotten, but, but man, I love her so much. And I thought to myself, how is it possible that he loves her more than I do? Wow, that's so cool. And then I had this other thought hit me. And I don't know if it was just me thinking of the Lord whispering to my heart, but I just had this other thought that was even more insane to me. And I just felt like I heard, TJ, son, I love you more than you love her. And that's a whole different thing. Of course he can love her because she's lovable, but he loves me? <sighs> he knows what I've done. He sees the real me. And he loves me in a way that I am not capable of loving. That's a God we can love. That's a God worth trusting. Listen, whatever you came in with this morning, whatever crisis you're facing, whatever you care about, whatever you're worried about, God cares more. You can trust him. You can love him. How do we know he's trustworthy in our crisis, in our suffering? Well, if he was so trustworthy, wouldn't he have taken this away? Wouldn't he have done something? How can we trust him? We can trust God in our suffering because we trust a God who suffered. Jesus didn't have to come. He left royalty to be baby around some livestock grow up in a poor town <laughs> created the heavens and then comes grows up as a child Jesus was a junior high boy <sighs> what grows up lives the perfect life the, has the perfect track record that you and I 
oh God, and we cannot possibly come up with. And he gets to the end of his life. He knows it's time to go to the cross in our place. And he's in the garden, and he sweats drops of blood. You talk about anxiety. He's, ah, how do I do this? But he goes for the joy set before him. He endures the cross. He's beaten. He's mocked. He's spit on. He's cussed. He's embarrassed. He's humiliated. He's abandoned by his friends. He suffers. And the whole time, he's saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He's praying for soldiers. He's talking to the thief next to him. And he's saying, hey, look, you can, listen, you can be forgiven. You can be with me in paradise. The whole time, he's loving us with our sin on his shoulders, with the weight of the world, knowing most of the people he's dying for won't even appreciate the favor. Willingly, in our place, is our substitute. And he dies in our place. He suffers. He dies. He feels everything we could ever feel. Even the father turning away from him, abandonment, he feels it. And yet the Bible says they put him in a borrowed tomb, and it was a short-term lease. It was a three-day weekend. And a few days later, in the spirit of God, he walked out of his own grave not a, not, a, not a spiritual thing, not a, not a hologram, a physical bodily resurrection. Jesus holds in his hands, walks out of the tomb, and he comforts his disciples, and he spends a month or, or so with them. But then he says, I got to leave. I got to go. It's necessary that I leave you, because if I don't, the comforter, the spirit, the spirit that raised me from the grave won't come. But if I go and I send him to you, then if you're in me, you'll have that same spirit that raised me from the dead living in you. You'll have a living hope. You'll have resurrection power. You'll have a new life. You'll have a new family. You'll have a new marriage. You'll have a new way of living. You'll have a new confidence, a new promise that this life is not all there is, that one day I'm coming back and I'm righting every wrong and I'm making, I'm fulfilling all justice and I'm I'm wiping away every tear and there won't be death, there won't be cancer, there won't be misery carriages, there won't be pain, there won't be loss. I'm making things right. That all happened because he was willing to suffer. Nate, if you want to join me. If we trust that, if we trust the gospel, it leads to something the world just quite frankly cannot offer. Peter says, you don't see him, but you love him. You don't see him, you believe in him, and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. This old song, joy unspeak, I'm not gonna sing it, joy unspeakable and full of glory, full of glory, full of glory. It's right from that verse. Loving and trusting Jesus leads to lasting joy. Some of y'all had more in this life before you met Jesus but now you trust Jesus and you can confidently say, I have a whole different kind of joy. I have a whole different kind of peace. I have a whole different kind of confidence and happiness. Not because of the stuff I have or how comfortable my life is, but because I know Jesus. Joy's in the Bible 150 plus times. You look at rejoice, gladness, some of these other words that are similar, you're over 500 times. The Bible is very concerned with your joy. Not just your wish list, your actual lasting, deep joy. The Apostle Paul makes it a command. He says 
in Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And then he says, let me run that back. Can you hear me? Is this thing on? Again, I say, rejoice. Not think about rejoicing. Try to rejoice. Rejoice. Just do it. How can he command that? By the way, um, he wrote those words from prison. How? How can you ask that? How can loving and trusting an invisible God bring real joy into our life? How could we choose joy even in a trial, even in a crisis? Here's what I've come to find out, that joy has very little to do with what is going on around you, and it's all about what's going on within you. There are people living in America whose lives are relatively easy, and at the slightest inconvenience, they're in an outrage. They're miserable. And there are people in other countries who don't know where their next meal is coming from. But if we sang one of the songs we sang this morning, they wouldn't stand there like us and bop their heads. They would be dancing in the aisles because of the joy that is in their heart from knowing Jesus. It's not about what's going on around you. It's about what's going on within you. So listen, on Mother's Day 2021, I want to liberate some of you guys. I want to give you all permission to take your joy back. If you don't have joy, if you come in here this morning, you're not a a joyful person. As serious as your crisis may be, it's not because of your circumstance. It's because of what's going on in you. God wants to give you joy. Very few of us in the room have endured what a young woman named Johnny Erickson Tata has. She was 17 years old, and she took a dive that broke her neck, left her a quadriplegic. She naturally went into deep depression. She was very upset, frightened of the future. And she asked this question to a friend. She said, man, if God let this happen to me at 17, at such a young age, what's next? Like, what else is going to happen to me? And he just gave a quick reply, but it changed her life. He said, sometimes, Johnny, God permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. He allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. This changed her life. She's proclaiming the gospel, traveling, ministering the rest of her life. Listen to me this morning. God hates suffering. He hates suffering. Jesus spent most of his ministry healing and relieving suffering. He tells us to go out and feed the hungry and clothe the poor and relieve Suffering, But in this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will have suffering. You will have trials because this world's not forever. You're made for a better world. So you're supposed to go through some suffering and realize this is not all there is. But God's still at work. He might be permitting this crisis, but he wants to accomplish something. Even through that suffering, he wants to build patience, trust, love, a longing in you for for heaven that this earth cannot fill. He allowed what he hated. Can you imagine letting your son suffer? Can you imagine giving your child, letting them be tortured and killed? That's what he allowed to accomplish what he loved, which was you and me being bought back at a price, at a ransom, you and I being given salvation and access to him. So I want to ask you this morning, what is God saying to you? Does he have your attention? Some of you could look back at your life and say, you know, there was a crisis and it brought my family closer together. 
That's what love does when it meets a crisis. And yet some of you could look back and see a a relationship or a moment where a crisis made you colder or tore you further apart. It's not about what's going on outside. It's about what's going on inside. And so you can leave here this morning colder or closer, and you get to decide right now. You can choose love. You can choose trust. You can choose joy. You can choose Jesus. Or you can choose what you're entitled to, to grumble and complain and be bitter. Jesus is available. The word says, knock and the door will be open. Seek and you'll find. Ask and he will hear. Pray and he will listen. Repent and believe in what he's done. Call upon the name of the Lord and he will save. Even in your crisis. Listen, sometimes it's hard to come to Jesus on a sunny day, but if you're here this morning and you're right smack dab in the middle of a problem, you are in the perfect place. He has your attention. His grace is on you this morning. He's inviting you. You can't see him. He can see you. You may not hear him right now. He can hear you. And so I would just invite you. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Try it. Trust him. Love him. Obey him. Come back to me in six months and tell me it's not better. Come back and tell me your life is not more meaningful. You might have greater trials in the next six months than you do right now, but it'll be worth it because he's skimming and he's working and he's refining and he's growing you. Stand with me if you would. I'm gonna invite some of our leaders to slip to the back. I just wanna encourage you, Brooke's gonna come, my wife's gonna come here in a moment and give us a little bit of information before we go, but I wanna invite you to respond to the message this morning. Respond to the word of the Lord. And if that looks like coming down and kneeling at the altar, praying by yourself, awesome. If that looks like grabbing the hand of somebody next to you and praying silently or praying together right there, cool. If that looks like slipping to the back, we have leaders that are crossing their fingers, hoping that you come and talk to them and pray with them. Or maybe you stay right where you are and you close your eyes and you lift your hands and you sing to the Lord and you surrender to him afresh this Mother's Day. Whatever it is, don't just listen and be cold and walk out of here colder than you walked in. Take a step. Let's, be, let's leave here closer to Jesus. Amen? Let's leave closer to Jesus. Lord, would you meet us right here in this place? Would your presence just fill this room? Would you speak to every heart, every life, every mom, every dad, every marriage, every friend, every grandparent, every child? Would you just meet us right where we're at, right in our crisis? And let us become closer to you instead of colder. It's our prayer in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Would you respond? We hope you enjoyed today's message. For questions, prayer requests, and more information, please visit us on the web at blowthirst.com.